Hello, and welcome to the King Heroes Journey podcast. My name is Beth Martins. I have the great pleasure of hosting Dylan Sicoccio today. I've been practicing how to say his last name in the Italian language. And uh, Dylan is an expert in languages. I'm so curious. This is actually the second time that I'm having Dylan on. And uh, he's waiting in the wings here. I'm just going to get Rockfin going while we're waiting for a few people to come on. Do say hello in the chat. Always love to see who's here and hear from you. And I'm just going to pop this link here in the chat. Yeah, This is the second time that Dylan has been on. And the first time I got a strike for it. <laughs> now I'll bring him on so you can make him feel bad. <laughs> Hello, Dylan. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me back. It's good to see you again. My great pleasure. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking back. It was the middle of the night. And I, I think Rose called it, us both and says, hey, do you want to stream? And, uh, and then so in the middle of the night, we're, we're streaming away. And the next morning, I wake up to a strike from it for medical misinformation because Rose was actually talking about her personal experience that she was going through. And then, and then YouTube just gave me the big X for it. She wasn't even talking about roll up your sleevers or the Wuhan wiggle. She was just talking about, yeah. Oh, good. We won't, we won't. Code. I know how to speak in code. Yeah. I've been, I've, been, <laughs> I've been around the block a lot longer than people have. Uh, it's ain't my first barbecue or rodeo. Uh, <laughs> But guess what? There is some salvation in that. I clipped at least the stuff that I like for me. And so it's on my channel somewhere way back whenever that was a year or two ago. So at least you can find some of the stuff we, we talked about. Okay, very good. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's all there in the ethers somewhere. So here's the Rockfin link for anyone that would like to jump over there. Hello to the people on Rockfin already. Nice to have you. And unrealistic Cliff Burton is here. Miss you too. And um, definitely have, um, this is the first of, of the interviews that I'm getting back into. I'm taking baby steps in, if you kept up with my journey, I'm just uh, taking it real slow. I'm eating slow. I'm drinking slow. I'm trying to work slower because I'm a fastaholic and uh, definitely some consequences can, can show up around that. I'm getting taught again. And uh, Artisiers here, nice to see you as well. And um, yeah, so maybe um, Dylan, I'm just going to quickly introduce you. You have a nice, uh, tight little bio, which I love. Um, <laughs> that sounded X-rated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let you get your mind out of the gutter. I know, I know, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. I have that effect on the ladies. There you go. Well, and you're all dressed for it and everything, so... I knew, I knew you would come well-dressed. I'm glad you're on camera now, by the way, because there was a lot of times when I heard you on interviews. Uh, shout out to Innerverse, by the way, which is how I got introduced to you through Chance Garten, and I've kept up with you through uh, Reb, um, Rant, no, Vibrant. There you go. Vibrant, which is a, a really fun... I, I never regret turning that on. And, uh, and, you know, even though it can be up to three hours long and you guys never get tired... You never get tired of geeking out on, on the words. And, uh, and it, it's kind of fun for me because it's not fear porn and it's creative and there, it sparks, and you've said this already, I'll let you talk eventually, but you said that, you know, how it's, it's not that you're expecting people to memorize and learn everything, but to open up their own pathway to when they're looking at language. And that's exactly what I found happens. I am, um, 
most of the way through your first book. I remember there was a time where you said, I, no one can interview me if they don't read my book. So I, I did some diligence and listened anyway. Well, it's just because I didn't want to have, you know, some of the stuff that you, you know, the negative interactions you've experienced, right? If you have that with a host on air and we start fighting, it just, it, we both look bad. It's a lose-lose situation. And I don't, I literally don't set out to like disturb people's beliefs or anything, but, or attack people, but in order to highlight some of the subject matter stuff has to, the, the wheat has to be separated from the chaff, you know, and people identify with some of that chaff and they get upset when you discard it. Exactly. And uh, that's the beauty, I think, of the times that we're in is that they've been incredibly polarizing. I know I've said this many times before, and that is a gift, right? So where you can see somebody and hear their message and know like it's a yes or a no. It's not like, oh, I'll, you know, you know, whatever that is, just like sit on the fence and be wishy-washy and not commit yourself to any uh, belief system, which is freaky because they are open to change. And we talked about this a little bit before coming on today that, you know, it's not for me just about the beliefs. I've seen beliefs come and go like crazy and they are highly fluid and malleable and they can change and, and they should change. And, and then there's the truth and, and our shared spirit for getting to it, even if it's at the cost of looking bad or realizing like, oh, I was saying stuff that wasn't true and coming clean about that one way or another. Hopefully you don't have to edit a whole book to do that. Uh, I'm just kind of letting my book lay right now. I, I do I do hear from a lot of people that they get the benefit of that and, and just letting it be what it is. It was pre-pandemic before I had any of these uh uh, more awareness than I have right now. And hello, NDB. So I, I did enjoy your work and uh, what I what I caught of it so far. And there's lots of really good places to, to go from. So I'll just let you know, Dylan, if you are not familiar with him already, is the author of Spirit World. I think there's several editions, or not editions, but several volumes Six. now. Six. And Six. our, our friend know. Chance has uh, narrated uh, four of them. He's halfway done through book six. And so this, oh. the Sanskrit stuff that we talk about, it's going to be a little bit more advanced. Um, so this is going to be like book four through six material, okay. but I'm so excited because you are one of the few people who've actually studied Sanskrit. And a lot of times, you know, I have to read old books and get my knowledge and all that stuff. And so now it's exciting to talk to somebody who's been there, done that. Okay, well, I have to qualify that really fast uh, in terms of the been there, done that. I had a very specific interest in Sanskrit. It was so that I would be able to sing the verses and mantras without mangling the language and, and ruining the meaning. So this is actually what, what brought me to it. I, uh, you know, I don't know enough to consider myself a Sanskrit snob, but I know how it is to be pronounced. And it's one of those languages I know you know, but that if you change the, what's called the matra of a... A, like a syllable in a word, you change the meaning. And so there was a whole bunch of North Americans that glommed on to the Kirtan movement. I was also, you know, I did Kirtan. I never was accepted into the movement at all. They didn't like me, still don't. And uh, and I couldn't, I couldn't embrace them either because they did such a bad job on the language. It was gobbledygook and it didn't carry any of the resonance that I found in the actual language. So we'll talk about all of that. Now, a little bit deeper into my story, because I'm always uh, exposing myself here, is that, you know, you've seen me exploring the Christian faith over the last, you know, um, three, four years now. And 
and then looking at all these mantras, got, I've got four albums with a bunch of mantras in them or, you know, versus Sanskrit kind of stuff. And, and then it was on the table for me to say like, okay, is this calling in the wrong spirit here? Am I dealing with the devil? Is it, you know, and I've actually come to some pretty good conclusions on my own. And that was the main impetus for having you on today, in addition to liking what you do, but it was just like zing, there's the there's the topic I need to talk to Dylan about. And so I'm not a Sanskrit scholar by any stretch of the imagination. The words I know, I only know because they were part of a scripture that I studied and, and maybe wrote music to, and um, I like the meaning of but not, not like, don't, don't start speaking Sanskrit to me or somebody did that. And hold on, you said I was an expert earlier and I want to nip that in the bud. I'm not an expert. <laughs> I've actually just been somebody that has done the work and I've learned the system from the priests themselves and from the fathers and from, and I've looked at almost every tradition in that there is a pattern to be had and you either know it or you don't. It's like you speak English, right? Someone who doesn't speak English could call you an expert on English or they call me an expert on English. But one of my challenges with learning languages is I don't even know some of the terms in the English language. Like I remember like learning like Spanish or whatever. And it's like, I don't know what the hell imperfect tense is and past parts. Like I, I don't even know what that stuff is in English. How are you going to teach me what it is in Spanish? But I speak, I speak English I, by virtue. I speak it. So I don't need to appeal to an authority on how to speak it. And it's the same thing with this system is once you learn it, you don't need to appeal to authority. You can just see the, the technique that, you know, we take for granted uh, language and specifically the mapping out of it through the alphabets. But if you look at like the human being, we're only capable of making so many noises with our uh, vocal cords. And that has been mapped out by the priests. And then what they do is they create these alpha, uh, the, the letters to correspond to each one. So then when they go to a new region, they learn the people's sounds of their language and what stuff signifies, and then they map it out with the letters, and then you have a system. So for me, I'm not saying that all languages are one and the same, but the system of mapping them out is a technology from the ancient world that has its origins. Today, we'll explore whether that's Italy whether that's uh, in the, the Celtic people or whether that is in Sanskrit, because as I, I sent you that um, those passages from book five of Spirit World, and hopefully you got to see at least a little bit that the Sanskrit, the Roman, and the Celtic have such strong affinity that it's impossible that they don't come from the same source. Right, right, exactly. Word after word after word matched up in that. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So that's uh, that's really good. Um, just to, to finish off, uh, also Dylan is an antiquarian who focuses on language mastery, mythology, priestcraft, and ancient history in the context of cultural diffusion. And uh, all of his works and podcasts and uh, social media can be found at beacons.ai, um, great tide, uh, backslash great tide, or uh, the Substack link that is posted here on the screen. And, um, and just to let everybody know in everything I post on Substack, there's directions on how to get a comp month to see if it's a good fit for you. Some people are just subscribed because there's like a blast that went out today to everybody that so there hopefully will be some people joining. Um, so pe some people just like it for getting notified for my latest updates and podcasts and stuff. But I also post my research there. So you don't have to wait for my next book. You can see where I'm at right now. And I don't turn anybody down unless you've been blocked on Instagram, then I can't do anything about that. And it's not personal. It's just, I, I don't tolerate a lot of behavior, 
but there are des descriptions just create a new account or whatever and that's how you can get a free month uh, free comp month okay fantastic that's really great and uh, so I have to imagine this stream is being suppressed. Uh, looking at the interest in it, people were really engaged. If you guys who are watching could share this out on your social media with them. Um, this is the best link, by the way, that has links to everything. Or you can just share the YouTube if you like. I'm still here graced on YouTube with two out of three strikes. And so that's good that you know how to speak in code, Dylan. And uh, I just, I'll just ride this train until we're not, we're not, we're not going to talk about anything too controversial. And uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, I think the the key to not getting banned is to speak in code, but it's also not to address the current oh, sigh ops. You know, like it's it's uh, <laughs> howdy awkwardly. Uh, yeah, so it's yeah. we're we're not we're that that's. So 2016, those days I've moved beyond trying to call out anything because what I learned is people aren't going to do anything about it anyway. So it's on you to take control of your life or it's on me to take control of my life and make decisions based on my sphere of influence. And in my sphere of influence, there's not a damn thing that's going wrong. The sun's shining. People are happy. There's children playing. There's, I mean, everything's heaven where I am. So I don't need to focus on what's going on in the rest of the world because I can't change anything. And if I can change anything, then that's good because then I just take action and change it. But we don't need to worry about getting banned and saying, don't worry about that with me. We're not going to go into those subjects. Yeah, yeah, beautifully said. And then <clears throat> to me that uh, it, it, this, this is the problem that people treated the truth to be an exposure of lies. And yes, that can be part of it because until you see the lie and then you get to see the illusion, then you know you're part way through the door. But to but that that's the illusion that you think you're through the door and you just keep repeating on the loop the problems and the problems and the lies and the problems and all of that kind of thing and and really get nowhere, spending a lot of energy getting nowhere. So that's why my you know you can go anywhere to hear about the problems and the latest. PSYOP and the latest crap and see my uh, <laughs> qualification there. But my virgin I, ears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, you know, I, I'm, I'm focused on solutions. Now this, this in particular is selfish. Like it's, it's personal. And then someone on Facebook was actually just saying like, you come up with the most interesting topics. And for me, it's, I just have a desire to learn. And then I have to imagine, cause I might be able to sit and talk with you, you know, on a, on a call or something like that. I'm not sure where you live. Uh, personally and just ask you questions, but I always feel somebody's going to get the benefit from hearing answers. Both, to my question. Yeah, both of us are going to benefit. So even if nobody's watching, you know, it's the middle of the day. A lot of people are working. They're going to catch this later on. That's why that's okay too. What's cool is if nobody watches this, it's just you and me, Beth, we're still going to get value out of this and have some sort of, you know, enlightening process or you know transmutation process either i'm gonna work my positions out better you're gonna work your position it's there's it i want to if i could just like try to adjust perspective for people who might see this like just because the truth exposes lies doesn't mean you have to explore that to expose the lie right it's like doing a scientific method i'm not here to actually i wouldn't be doing that because i care about people in the scientific community and I've got an ax to grind with them. No, I want to actually see the experiment for myself. And then when I do it and find something different, then yes, I might be able to indicate they're lying, but that's not my motivation. But we have to be mature and be able to say they're lying. 
And if that lie is causing people to harm, then it might be worth addressing publicly, but you don't have to. It's it, there's, The way we look at it is regardless of what happens, you, the scientific method, you're going to prove A causes B or A doesn't cause B, but both are a win. There's no failure because if you don't prove what you were looking for and you're humble and you're sincerely seeking the truth, you're going to get to the truth anyway by negation, right? And it's the same thing with what I'm doing. I don't have an ax to grind. I'm not, you know, uh, one of my friends, uh, Old World Florida, Dr. Longo, he's like, Dylan's an Italian supremacist. And he's joking, he's bust my balls. <laughs> but that's not what I set out to do. It's just all roads lead to Italy. And when you look at this ancient system, it was dispersed through a maritime empire. And the only maritime empires in those eras were in the Mediterranean. They weren't Indian. In fact, the Brahmins weren't allowed past uh, the old borders, which would have been Pakistan and Iran. So how are the, they getting this information through Iran, through Mesopotamia and all that stuff into mm -hmm. Europe? How is it such an affinity to the Celtic and the Roman language? And then so you, the next thing would be like, well, is it Celtic? Is it all coming from the Celtics? But when you look at the Celtic, there's nothing that doesn't originate to uh, from Roman. Even the Saxon letters that they called Saxon, they're, they're ultimately Roman. The, all the ancient British languages, as far back as they go, the structure of the language was Italian and the letters are Roman. Okay. So Not I Indian. Yeah, I want to hear I want to hear all this stuff, but I wanted to preface with one question, and uh, and uh, I'm going to ask for your patience there, P. Smith, because uh, if you you might want to um, just catch the recording and buzz through. But uh, this is interesting. To are me. you able to get super chats, Beth? Is your are you demonetized? Um, I don't think. Let's encourage. Like, let's not Let's not interrupt our conversation for comments unless if you're able to get super chat, let them super chat you so you get some support for you know in disrupting the flow. If that's I don't. Possible. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't subscribe to it. I think I turned that off a while ago. So uh, oh, okay, I'm not going to. Oh, that's fine. It. Yeah, yeah. Just balance it off. Just trying to get you some, you know, some draw. You know. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So, I'm good. Um, so I, I'd like to know what what inspired. See, Sue thinks it's awesome already, <laughs> and I do interact with my audience because it's it's a that's the fun of being live. So what inspired you, Dylan, to start the study of language in the very first place? What was it in your life that was a kind of inciting moment that might have been happening for you? It was, um, so I was learning about this stuff through uh, Mark Passio. In, uh, so just the long sort of it, I, I went to Hollywood. And while I was in Hollywood, I also became a realtor. And I also got into financial services and I was trying to, you know, make a living where I didn't have to answer to anybody. And I was kind of like doing my own business. And in that, I started associating with certain people. And there was just this overwhelming, I don't want to say spiritual wickedness, but there, I don't know how to explain it, but your instinct knows like something is real serious and dark and whatever. And, and I started realizing, you know, the darker cult influences and I found Mark Passio uh, probably in like 2008 or something, he used to do this live stream. And so he started getting me into like etymology and stuff like that. And I no longer listen to Mark. I haven't in years, like a lot of people that I used to listen to, you know, one thing goes to another, you find like Jordan, the Jordan Maxwell's or Russell Pines. Um, that's his real name or like Santos Bonacci. And all those guys have done great work, but 
you know, you, you get what you want from them. You learn a skill set and then you move on. I don't like 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 most of the people that help me out. I don't in the early phases. I don't even pay attention to them anymore. Um, but what really got me interested is seeing that by default, when I want to, I, I want, I'm, first and foremost, I want to know what happened and the truth and what's really going on. And when you start reading old works, they're going to be in old languages. So by process of elimination, like I learned language, I don't know language. I learned the alphabets and the structures of the languages by reading old synagogue Hebrew. So I can read Hebrew, but I can't speak it. I can read Greek, but I can't speak it. In fact, I could read all of these languages before I even knew the names of their letters. I could just look at the symbols and know what it corresponded to in English because when I'm reading on my own, I have to look at this letter and then I go look up what is that. And you do that enough times, eventually your mind memorizes it so you don't have to keep looking shit up. And so I learned all this stuff on accident. And then I started noticing, uh, in addition to on my own, but older uh, researchers had pointed this out from like the 17, 1800s, that these alphabets are all the same at the root. They just do these like subtle changes to them, maybe switch up one letter, like the, the letter for an M in Phoenician will take that same symbol and use it as an S in Cyrillic or a Coptic, or, you know, so they'll, they'll switch the same symbols and then com combine with that. And then learning about like, especially with the legal work that you've done, that all these trusts, all this whole system is ecclesiastical in nature. And it goes all the way back to the religious institutions. Well, you start finding out, okay, well, when did this start? Yeah. I know the first express trusts. I know about all this stuff in the middle ages that begins, especially like, you know, regarding the crusades and all that. But it's not like this just popped into being. And what, the further back you go, you see that this goes back as far as our history, observable history, goes back. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if we want as a society to not, I'm not one of those people that thinks anybody should ever fight the system. I'm just all about consent and being made aware of it. And I think the problem with the system is that we're taught one thing. And the system runs a completely different way. And then they said, well, it's not like you couldn't have figured it out. You know, it's all out there. You should be, able, you know, it's like, no, you really ought to know the way, like even in something as simple as a marriage, you ought to know how your rights are going to change when you get married to somebody. There's a lot of stuff that they gloss over and they just romanticize everything. So you're never looking at what's going to happen to you if you get divorced. What's going to happen to your business? What, you know, so what, you know, there's a lot of stuff that is just, it's, it, it's like facilitated by through ignorance. And for me, one of the big things is history has been inverted as you know, a lot of people in your audience, they probably are aware of the way the nature of earth has been inverted. The same thing has happened with history. The same thing has happened with science, the same thing. They've basically taken everything and they know you're trained to accept certain things, right? Like science, when you learn it as a kid, it's involving the scientific method. Well, cunning people know that they can, that's in your subconscious. So they can just say the science has been settled. The science proves this, the science that. And you hear that and you say, oh, that means they did the scientific method to get to the bottom of that. But when you get out of that little uh, bubble of like ignorance, or you actually say, well, I want to see how you did it. My, I want to see the scientific uh, research and the method you employed. I want to see your tests. 
and you look at them and they haven't done anything. And you're like, wait, so you weren't doing science, but you were saying you were doing science. Well, you know, you know, and then they, 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 they will scatter gun and try to paint, you know, then they start attacking you. It's like, all I'm trying to do is figure out why you're saying something is true when you didn't do that. Why are you lying to people? And then it's okay. What's the, why this are you lying? This is my childhood. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's right. all, Beth, my mom used to put tofu in my salads and tell me it was chicken. Oh, I, didn't no. know what to, I didn't know what tofu was, but I knew I wasn't eating chicken. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and so it's not till later till I figure that out. You lied to me. You said that was chicken. You know, it's, it's, it's the same thing, but at a grander scale, there's a lot of shit going on that we've been lied to. And sometimes it's just through convenience because people themselves don't know the answer and it's easier to just repeat the narrative. And um, mm -hmm. I've never been one of those people. I'm very transparent. I, if I had children, I would not lie to them about anything. I wouldn't tell them your gifts are coming from Santa. I would say your mom and dad worked really hard to provide that for you. Now it's time to celebrate this time of year and whatever tradition you, you know, whether it's the Yule, whether it's Christmas, whatever it is. It doesn't negate the tradition. It doesn't mean anything. It's just don't lie to people about how stuff is coming into existence. And mm -hmm. I noticed that's going on with history. And for me, the, the best way to expose something is when you realize you don't have any historical artifacts to prove your case. And the works, like you're not, you're not coming up with these stories because the evidence took you there. You made the stories up and now you're using every piece of artifact to try to fit into that narrative. And that is one of the biggest awakenings I had to do because it's like, you know, I grew up in, um, as, like I'm from a Christian background. And so I had to confront a lot of my own personal beliefs. And so it was as controversial for me as it is to other people, but it's just, it's sometimes you just have to be willing to have some humility and not let your ego get in the way. And when you look at like the actual dark occult, like whether it's Satanism or anything else, that all it really is, is unfettered service to self and ego. And even Anton LaVey, the founder of the Church of Satan, said that Satan is the ego. Mm, interesting. And that's why you have these people who are like, I'm going to become God. You don't want to, you don't have to become God if you don't want to become God, but you better stay out of my way because this AI technology, I'm going to become a God, mm. you know? And mm -hmm. it's a very... It's a very selfish mindset. And that's what you see with a lot of these people. Now, does that mean everybody in the priesthood's like that? No, there's some wonderful people in every tradition. And that's why it doesn't benefit anybody to, uh, it's called a stereotype fallacy. And we're mm -hmm. all guilty of it. I do it too. But it's, you can't just say because a certain amount of people in one group, because they're involved, that it's all people in that group. You know, mm -hmm. that's not fair either. You've got to identify the culprits identify who behaved which way don't just blame everybody who happens to be in the same cult as them or the same ethnicity as them you know even though the patterns generally you know the pattern recognitions and the stereotypes don't lie like people in certain things they do have these tendencies and that's good to be aware of too right you know exactly if, if you're dressed like a thug i probably am not going to leave my bicycle unlocked around you right it's not racist it's just you're dressed like a thug you know yeah yeah, totally. Uh, I just want to backtrack and not get too lost on it. I'm glad that uh, Brandon is here from Safe Haven Portfolio. And I was actually uh, thinking about be interesting for the two of you to talk on on the law side. And he's just saying about the Knights Templar didn't invent trusts. But what they, is a Templar? Format. 
the define night- a Templar because most night- people will say stuff like this, but then they don't even know what a Templar is. So define a right. Templar so everyone okay. knows. All right, we won't get too far off, and just because I have a lot of selfish uh, questions, I want to ask myself. And um, so you did allude to. Um, <laughs> yeah, you guys are going to have to have a conversation, Brandon. Um, you did allude to in your first book that there was, you know, the awareness of all of this darkness in, like you said, the, the dark occult, the unfettered service to the ego, um, that conversation for another day. But, you know, it, it, it made it, it's made it seem like, the, um, and I don't want to press too much personally, but I'm just curious because we all have our roots of places that our particular interests and passions came through, you know, some of it hardwired, some of it based on experience, but did you come face to face with that darkness, Dylan? I mean, as far as, uh, like I was associating with people that if, and I'm not going to say this in public, but if people knew the positions they had, they would say, Oh, those are like the people that are controlling Hollywood and et cetera. Now, they used to introduce me as being pure as the driven snow because I'm naive as hell. I'm one of those people that like I literally get along with everyone. I've never really, like uh, I was just I'm so open minded and I'm like, oh, you, you do whatever is good for you. And I don't, I, you can still be my friend. It doesn't bother me if you're gay. It doesn't bother me, whatever. But then when I realized the stuff that I cared about was being attacked, they don't feel that way about me. And they're not looking at me as a friend. They don't have my back like I would have their back, but they wouldn't have my back. And um, I just realized, yeah, I I came face to face with it in a way, but not, I was never made any like offers. Like, like I wouldn't make it past the filtration process. Like even some of my friends, like there'll be a time where maybe you get invited to a party, you're about to get something produced, whatever. And I'm not saying it's always like this, but this happens. And at, at like midnight or something, the drugs come out, the clothes come off, you know, if you leave, what that's going to indicate is you're not down with this. So what does that mean? doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be cut off, but a lot of times you do get cut off. It's not like a bad cut off. It's just people just vanish. They disappear from your life and you never hear from them again. But you're never going to get invited to the following subsequent parties. In the, in the, you know, there's like a filtration. System. Everything is a filtration system. And it's in the corporate world too. It's not like it's all you know, Hollywood or anything. But this is in the this is in every system you can think of. They're going to test you to see like where where you're at, and probably mo- both paths will be mapped out. You know, it's like well, we can utilize him here. You know, you know that type of stuff. But I never got into like I've I'm just I if I have to compromise my character or do anything against my will that I'm not interested in to get what I want, then what I wanted wasn't worth a damn in the first place, and that's right my on. answer. You know, right so, but, but at the same time, I'm not malicious about it. Like, I'm not going to judge somebody else who worked their whole life. And, you know, maybe they did some gay shit to get a movie role or whatever because they didn't know what else, you know, like that sucks. Not for me, but I understand why you would do that. Whereas either that or go back to living in a shitty apartment, eating ramen. And, you know, some people just I don't blame them. And it's like people, the, the systems in, in this world are predatory. A lot of them. Mm-hmm. And to get mad at people who fall for it, it's not my thing. My 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 thing is to try to bring awareness of it so you don't fall for it in the first place and you avoid it in the first place. That's mm-hmm. that's like my goal. Very good. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm pretty nosy. And no, uh, it's fine. I'm pretty open. 
Right. Uh, okay, I can't resist. Is it um, Brendan's question? Is it true Anton was a LARP? Do you think? Anton Levin? Not, not my. Uh, it's not my. I, I don't. He. I think he died before I was even born. I mean, I don't know. Not but his, his, yeah. The institution he allegedly created, and I'm, I doubt he would uh, create that on his own, right? Like, it's kind of like you can tell NASA is not an or, you know, they'll say, oh, it comes from JPL and Jack Parsons, L. Ron Hubbard, and uh, uh, who's the other guy? Uh, I can't remember, but they'll say it started off as like this little thing, yet somehow NASA has the ability to predict eclipses and has all of the astronomical data throughout the times to be as precise as ever. And they just want you to believe they learned that in 40 years. No, even like you go back to India and the, the people we're talking about today and the priests of Europe and all, Egypt, this stuff took a long time to learn. So the idea that you're just going to get it by observing it for a few decades is it's total nonsense. And what, who were the fathers uh, of the priests of Apollo? The pateris, the fathers, right? That's why the Christian fathers are called the fathers. It comes from Apollo, right? And what did NASA name their missions? The Apollo missions, right? So there's a lot of occult influence and a lot of priestly influence in all of our systems. And my, my work helps you recognize it. Oh, very good. Great answers. Thank you. And so Sanskrit, uh, in, when I was learning about it enough to, uh, to not butcher it, that's my, my claim to fame right there. Uh, it was said to be the mother of all languages, that it was the source, all of the, even Latin came from Sanskrit is what I was taught. And so what's your take on that? Do you think that's just a uh, sort of misshapen history? Oh, I think you're muted. I accidentally just popped uh, myself out of the window trying to unmute myself. I apologize. I'm going right. to my, I'm gonna leave myself off mute so it can be a little bit fluid for a little bit. So if you hear any background noise, just let me know. Um, no worries. So here's my take on that. And I'm a show me guy, right? And I... And, I want that my goal is to help my audience be show me guys. So this is the oldest inscription in India. It's a, and it, so basically if you look at the status quo, Sanskrit allegedly comes from Tamil and this is the oldest Tamil Brahmi script in India. And it only dates to 250 BC. And that's if you believe it's real. So in order to prove the origins of letters and the priestly system that accompanies them, as well as their affinity, one must provide evidence of the oldest inscriptions. And for anyone who's going to claim Sanskrit is the oldest, these are the languages it comes from. And this is only 250 BC. Mm. And these were, if and from here's here, one of the reasons like I would have an issue with this is as you look at it, it's a little bit too pristine. Let's see if I can make you full screen. It's 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 in the uh, it's in the um, it's exposed to the elements, so that's like a a red flag for me. And then the other red flag is it's not really noticed until the twentieth century, as far as mm. I can tell. Mm. And for those who want to look this up, it's called the Mangulam inscriptions. And so the history behind it is in nineteen oh six. It was. Uh, it was discovered and that it was similar to the Brahmi script, et cetera, et cetera. And then several people throughout time have 
put their twist on it, you know, whereas uh, someone identified a few Tamil words in it. Uh, there, and there's a couple of them. This isn't the only inscription. And then, um, then some uh, identified some Prakrit loan words and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, it was dated in 1965 as late third century BCE. So even if that detail about the Mangulam inscriptions is correct, it indicates that the earliest known Tamil Brahmi script only dates then. Now, what I'm about to show you is what was formerly thought of to be a, a Greek abacadarium. And in abacadarium, the plural is abacadaria, and I bet abracadabra comes from that. Um, it's, it's a system of alphabets. It doesn't mean they used all the letters, but it means they had them all there and they could use them if they wanted to. Now, this is called uh, the Marsiliana tablet, and it's Etruscan. And I say Etruscan instead of Etruscan, like most people, because in Latin, the SC is pronounced like an SH, right? If I say le capisce, right? Le capisce l'italiano. Do you understand Italian? If I say piscis, that's fish. Pisciculi, the bishops, the fishes, the little fishes. Yeah. That SC is like an SH. Even English used to be spelled the terminate in SC rather than SH. Um, that's from 700 BC. Well, this turned out to be Etruscan and not ancient Greek. Hmm. And it's found exactly where you expect it. And so one of the other controversial things about my language is I'm showing and I'm using the work of professional archaeologists, etc., to show you that the, the Greek timeline has been inserted uh, primarily in like the 17th, 18th century education system. But a lot of stuff that's been attributed to Greeks is actually from Italy. And therein lies the that's where like the confusion is coming in terms of dating things. And this language, this is Etruscan. And along with the other uh, ancient Italian alphabets or languages, whether it's Ligurian, Northwest Italy, whether it's the languages of uh, Sicily, um, they have no affinity to Indo, any Indo-European language. They can't decipher them because they have no affinity. Yet they're using the same letters. And that to me, in addition to a bunch of other points, is, a, is demonstrative of it being an older system. And the younger an alphabet is, the more letters it has. Hmm. And the furthest you go back, uh, some scholars, whether it's Assel, whether it's Gordius, whether it's um, Swinton, they have the earliest attrition alphabets at only 13 to 12 to 13 letters. Some of them say 12, some of them say 13. Some languages have letters like the H, but they use it as an aspirate, but they don't actually write it. Like if we were to look at like the word uh, Helios in Greek, right? We say Helios, but it doesn't have the E. Uh, excuse me. It doesn't have the Ada uh, or the H, I should say. Excuse me. Um, so there's a lot. of So knowing these, like how this stuff uh, works, it, it helps you. And, and this to those who are unfamiliar and with my work, I want to give you like a little bit of a demonstration of why language matters. I'm going to pull up a website um, from the British Museum. And I came across this uh, through a, an Etruscologist, uh, an article. And this mirror is, they, they don't date it at the museum. Um, they, they say, the Etruscologist said it's somewhere, they think it's somewhere from the fourth century 
BC to the fifth century BC. But when you look at the languages that's being used, right? So they'll say this is Etruscan. And I would agree for the most part. I can read it because I can read Etruscan. However, there's little subtleties in the letters that are different. So this would say M-E-N-R-V-A. So that is Minerva. And the Latins, they say the Latins come from, descend from Greeks, but the Latins use all the Phoenician and Etruscan mythology. And the Etruscan language is one for one, the Pelagian. And the Pelagian is one for one, the Phoenician. And the Farago that's happening, which is the mishmash, is a lot of status quo people think that the Pelagians are Greeks. And I'm saying no, because if you look at historians like Dionysius of Halicarnassus, he wrote that Mercilius of Lesbos said he didn't call the Pelagians Pelagians, he called them the Turanians. And the Turanian Sea is on the west coast of Italy, where all these languages that are one for one with Phoenician exist that don't have any affinity to anything in the east. Not only that, Dionysius Halicarnassus said the rest of the world called the Turanians Pelagians and the Pelagians Turanians, the same people. And so that's where one of the things is getting mixed up. But even if you were to look at that, that is going to be. Let me show you one more time. Just show you this letter right here. You see this? This is an Umbrian. This is this is actually an Umbrian alphabet, which, according to Pliny the Elder, I'll read you a, a quote from him. But this is allegedly the oldest civilization in Italy. And I don't know that the status quo nowadays thinks that, but that's what he wrote. And he existed, I think, in the like end of the first century. I think he died at Mount Vesuvius in Pompeii. But the point of this is this is Umbrian. So if Umbrian's as old as they think it is, then this plate mirror, if it's authentic, it could be a forgery. Nothing's out of the bound, right? So we're going to get to the truth whether we're looking at a forgery or not. And that's why I like what we're doing. This must be older because it's an Umbrian or the Etruscan people that wrote this were using an Umbrian alphabet for a reason, or this might have been found in a tomb that was from the fourth or fifth century. But that's not to say that this couldn't have been an ancient artifact that they had even back then and they wanted to be buried with it. I don't know. But the reason I'm pointing this out is because I've never seen another person alive do this. The Etruscologists that brought it to my attention that I learned it from, they don't know about it. If you go to the British Museum on the website, they don't say anything about this being the digamma or the V right? Identifying it specifically as Umbrian. And now the quote that I wanted to read you just to, so you see where I'm coming from with this. Can I, can I ask a real quick yeah. question? Yeah. Context jump in, jump in. Here. Are, are we already talking Roman empire or seeds of, or like what, what's the timing here? So this is, this is what is, this is what a lot of people, especially in like the, the conspiracy world are saying, like something's up with the chronology of Rome. It's not adding up. Not only that, some of the most important cities in Etruria, which are right near Rome, are not mentioned by any Roman author or any Greek author, except for you'll find it in maybe like a, a geographical account or something like that. But a place that would have been responsible for so much pottery, so much stone masonry and statue working, so much bronze work, and nobody says anything about it. It looks like something happened in Italy around the turn of the common era. And whatever Italy's history was, was totally gutted 
and hidden. And what we have now is a construct. And so just to give you insight on the Umbrian people, which this is why I'm tying it into this. It's, it's really interesting is because Om, you know, that spiritual sun, that spiritual, that, that Om, you know, well, Pliny the elder in his natural history wrote the Umbrian people are thought the oldest in Italy. They are believed to have been called Ombri. Here, the people of the thunderstorm after Ombros, thunderstorm, by the Greeks because they survived the deluge, literally the inundation of the lands by thunderstorms, Imbribus. So the Etruscans vanquished, and he wrote, the Etruscans vanquished 300 Umbrian cities, which means, long story short, but showing you why knowing alphabets is critical, this is older than the oldest Indian inscription. And when you understand how and people actually look into it and uh, the book you want to go through, you don't need to be initiated or like well-versed in this stuff to read book five of the spirit worlds called the Holy Sailors. Beth can attest that there is like dozens of words. I didn't do, do all of them because it's like not interesting. It's too technical. It's not really like exciting. That's why I don't really want to talk like in detail about it, but the affinity, the amount of letters that Rome, that the Celts, and that Sanskrit share, it's, it's mathematically impossible that's not coming from either an older civilization or the priests sharing these technologies of the times with each other, right? So it might not be spreading through people like commoners because in order to have these systems and because they're so similar, you had to be initiated. And that's why the Palaji were called the Palaji the holy sailors and Palazzi for those who don't know, it's a, it literally translates as wanderers by sea, but it's also ascribed to the stork because those are seabirds. And the historians don't know if the Palazzi were called storks or if the storks are named after the want the sailors, but that's, that's where it comes from. So that's why I call it the holy sailors. Hmm, hmm. Interesting that it comes through initiation because that's the whole secret society um, formula right there that it, if you pass the initiation and like you were saying, you won't, you won't get through the initiations. I won't get through the initiations because we have, you know, a soul and integrity and, and our desires aren't as strong as I, our want for freedom. And uh, so, so do you consider this to be uh, an occulted, you know, the, the, those that you talk a lot in your book about the, the Phoenicians, the, the, the deaf Phoenicians, I guess, and um, and so I don't want to skip. I got that from Jordan Maxwell. So, from Jordan Maxwell. Okay, okay. So so Jordan Maxwell coined that term, and okay. he's one of the people that I learned his work through other people, but they were learning it from him, and so that so he was really good. And I don't agree with everything. Like there's stuff he put out that's wrong, especially towards the later part of his career. He didn't know the difference between etymology and entomology totally different subjects. Yeah. <laughs> He's an old man at that point. But if you look at his work in like the eighties and nineties, mm -hmm. the phonetics, the phonetics matter, but they're not the only thing. And so the alphabets are much better. Learning philology and the structure of language can help you more than just phonetics because the human being is only capable of making so many sounds. Right. So it's, of course, we're going to our languages are going to, even though they're going to be different, we'll still have the same sounds for different words. And that doesn't mean there's a connection necessarily. But when we're spelling it the same and we're using letters, it's like, well, how'd you guys get those letters? 
Mm -hmm. And not just once, but repeatedly that's recognizable as an actual pattern. So yeah, yeah. Okay, good. That's great. And do you want to say something about um, your, or that's the quote that you just read to us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then what I wanted to show this is because a lot of the work we deal with, it overlaps. And the reason I say overlaps is because we're ultimately dealing with uh, whether it's the priests of science, the priests of religion, it's this idea that they have a divine right to rule. Yes. And exactly. that's, so if you, so if you were to ask like what got me going and made me passionate about this, because I tend to look at people like individuals. I, I believe every single person, I don't believe we're equal. I don't believe we're all, I think we have gifts and we have set, we have limitations, but we can work on our gifts and minimize our limitations and your strengths are going to complement me. My strengths will complement you and us being together, our group of people, we all have these like talents that is for the betterment of the tribe, the, the civilization. So we don't need to be this blank slate equalism. However, the people in the ruling classes have historically claimed these people, uh, they, uh, they've claimed to be descended from these mythological or religious archetypes. And so I just wanted to show you this. This is Noah up here. So this is the kings of England claiming of the line of Silvius, claimed to be descended from Japet who's also called Atlas, Tiras, mm. who's also called Thor or Jupiter. Mm. So all of this is predicated on Noah, right? And then, but the problem is going back to when you were reading my little blurb, interested in the context of cultural diffusion. Well, the Mexicans have the same story as Noah, only he's called Cox Cox, C-O-X mm -hmm. space C-O-X. And there's another name for him too, but it's the same flood narrative, but instead of a dove, they send a hummingbird. Instead of a raven, they send a vulture. But it's word for word, and almost, in terms of like the, the, the description of the, the general story. So my question is, well, how are they coming? Uh, how is this getting to them? Did the Americans really not have contact with the ancient world? Or are we being lied to about the context between the ancient world? Or is the cultural diffusion in these stories I'm noticing forgery? And there's no downside because I'm going, we are going to figure this out eventually. It's just about laying the groundwork so people know what to look for. But as you see, this goes all the way down to the first kings of Alba, Albion. That's what it was called. And that comes from a Phoenician word, even though it's pretended to be Greek. Um, so you see this first king of Britain right there. Silvius Britannicus. And Britain comes from Phoenician, Bretanac, the land of tin, because the Phoenicians kept this place secret for a long time because they were mining the tin there. And that's what was used in the Bronze Age with copper to make bronze. Can, so, you, quickly, can you quickly define the Phoenicians for us, please? I know you've done that at great length in other places. but Well, it's a placeholder term. Um, it, as far as I can tell, it comes from an Etruscan word which means purple or is related to purple. And it looks like this, puni. P, it goes this way, it goes right to left like Hebrew. So if you were to look at it like this, it would look like this. And apparently there are accounts uh, on tables that the Etruscan navigate or nav certain navigators were called this, but they don't know if they were Etruscan, it was referring to Etruscans or if it was just the Etruscan way of, um, referring to Phoenician, uh, uh, yeah, Phoenicians. 
What I'm saying is when I look at the alphabets, they're the same. How is that possible? When I look at the ancient Irish alphabets, they're almost the same as the Phoenician prior to the 700 to 500 BC when, the, when they allegedly gave the letters to the Greeks. It's the same 17 letters. So this is, this is the confusion or this is the, the hard thing to figure out because you can only trace letters and alphabets so far back before they get to a point where they were secret and you weren't allowed to, you weren't allowed to just leave like, it's not the Roman empire where you can write on like statues and stuff. You weren't allowed, this system was secret. The whole point of it was to keep it to themselves. That's how they maintained the tactical advantage. Even the Kings and stuff, we have sin signature sign nature. Cause they didn't weren't literate. They had a sign that they would sign until, you know, until the common era and stuff. Once, once, you know, they're getting brought into the fold then they become literate. But so the Phoenicians would just be right now, I'm defining them as uh, ancient Italians. I don't think they come from Lebanon, especially because when you look at like the corpses that are attributed to being Phoenician corpses, like the uh, like Carthaginian bodies, there's no genetic match, at least from a DNA standpoint. And I don't trust DNA because there's no genetic match anywhere. The closest that they found is Portugal. So even 1500 years before Christ, to now, so 3,500 years, you mean to tell me a body that's dated 3,500 years ago has zero genetic match to anything in the known world, yet the closest is in Portugal? That is not adding up to me. So either DNA is not reliable or the findings, you know, the methods they use, the corp, none of it's reliable, you know what I mean? So <laughs> Phoenicians, I would, I would probably just call them the navigators of the maritime uh, admiralty empire. Okay. But it might not, they might, they might not have been called that. It just might be a placeholder term, you know? Okay. Okay. Good to know. And um, just to back up a little bit also, first of all, that, you know, the, to your point about it being not for the people, it was for them and their own internal systems and, and uh, maybe, you know, wielding. And that was the thing that attracted me because it was the, the, the mantras were, you know, again, here's the story that I was told is that the mantras were actually stolen from the Brahmins and taken and they took to the street with them, even though they didn't have all of the intellectual knowledge to back up and use it. They knew they knew that words were powerful. And so they took they stole the mantras and then and then spread it through the Bhakti movement, which, you know, that, again, I don't know if this is true, just what I was taught. And so what's your what's your take on on that, that um, you know, and what it backs up to is that, do you think that language, I'm often wondering about this, but did language come to us as a blessing or a, or was it actually, uh, you know, put on us as a curse? <laughs> I think it's a blessing. Mm -hmm. um, I think you're, this is one of the things that separates us. And uh, I think it's a gift from God. It's like any tool, though, it can be manipulated by cunning people who have ill intentions in their hearts. And that's on us. You know, that's the that's the free will world. Would it be would this life be as interesting if it didn't have that constant resistance? And, you know, like there'd be no but there would be no conflict. It would just be like, oh, we're all the same. Everything's blissed out. You know, just I don't want to live in that world anyway. So this kind of is like there are sneaky people right and the indians are known for that in fact uh erroneously called gypsies the egyptians take a lot of flack because when when those gypsies first started showing up 
They thought they were from Egypt. They weren't. They, they turned out to be from India. So there's a, and so you have those, these things like you got gypped or whatever. So there's, there's a lot of sneaky stuff that comes out of India and it starts with their priest class and they use these massive cycles and these crazy calculations to kind of paint this picture that they're so ancient. And the reason they know these yuga cycles and all that other stuff is because they're so ancient and they've been charting this stuff for so long, but you're not going to find any evidence to back that up. And I just showed you guys, this is not my opinion. This is the status quo. The Mangulam inscription is the oldest of um, India and it only dates to the third century. And so I wanted to show you like, so you see these solar archetypes here. I'm going to make you full screen and I'm going to help my, uh, my little cat here get outside and I'll be, but I can hear everything. So I'll be That's right fine. Back. That's fine. I, I'll, uh, I'll talk to myself. I'm used to doing it on my own. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so uh, I can't read the chat and do this at the same time, guys. So if you're saying stuff and I don't notice it, that's, it's just uh, on me. Um, but you'll see uh, in addition to the language being observably older in Europe, than in India, you'll also see signs that are used. And one of these particular signs would be uh, a sign that was hijacked by mean Mr. Mustache. And um, you'll see there, uh, it, my, it's kind of hard to view, but that's a lion. And these are solar crosses. You'll see his head, that's a sun. And it's unmistakable. A lot of that's getting perverted by people who focus on polar symbolism. And while that's part of it, they're inverting the history of the use of these symbols. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is because that symbol, you will find it in Etruscan pottery. You also find it in Greek pottery, right? And this is like 600 BC. But what's interesting is you'll see a variant of this that is unlike anything I've ever seen in Etruria. And maybe people in the chat will find signs uh, that predate this. If you can find something older than 600 BC that has this unique form of this special solar cross, then by all means, post it in. The closest I could find is on this uh, artifact from a, a ship that was found on a farm in Norway, but it only dates to 700 AD. So like a, almost a thousand years later. And again, it's got that Buddhic overtone. Go ahead, Beth. Yeah, the swastika as well, right? Is that the, yeah, this is what I'm, I'm, I'm showing you. That, like, these are Greek Greek pottery and Italian pottery from, look, can you see the storks or the pelicans, whatever, the equilateral cross. You see all these symbols predating anything you're going to come across in India. But what you'll also see in India specifically, that the reason I bring this up is because that inscription, the Mangulam inscription, is allegedly uh, an old Jain site, the Jains. Mm -hmm. Jainism, Jain, yeah. Yep. And that is their official emblem. They're using Mediterranean symbol. So unless you can prove some artifacts of from India using this language, and you'll see Jain, it's the root of basically Janus or Janus. And if you just recognize that uh, that G and J kind of interchange, so you have Ganesha or Ganesh, but that could also be just Janish. And you'll see in certain languages, the S's, like they had to invent vowel point systems because the S was the same symbol, whether it was SH or just S. 
And the older you go back in language, you'll see there's less out, less letters and each letter serves more functions to help you pronounce things. And you just had to know it back then. But I wanted to bring that up is because you don't just see this in language. You see it in the symbolism as well. And um, I wanted to read you a quote, you know, before I start getting your opinion. Well, like, by all means, get your opinion. Like I, uh, I want to talk about what you think of like Sanskrit. What, what your, what in your experience do you think? Do you think is it? Do you believe that it's as old as you were taught? I'm a blank slate. I don't. I don't. I don't have any investment in myself uh, being right about what I heard. Just, just uh, very interested. And and is there any difference between a symbol and a letter or a word? Like, are, is it not all symbols? It's all symbols. It's just mm -hmm. varying various degrees. And it's, like, it's a placeholder, right? For some real experience. It's a, it's a, essentially a fiction that you're. It's whatever you agree it is. So yeah. anybody at any time can use the same symbols and agree that it has meaning and then it does. And this That's is one of the reasons that the priest class was so strict. Because when you look at the first, this is another reason why I think the Phoenicians were ancient Italians. Vetulonia, which is in Etruria, was where they first started adorning their royal robes in that they call it Syrian purple or Tyrian purple. It's that Phoenician purple. That if and now the Justinian code is suspect because what we have from it doesn't appear conveniently till the sixth century, right? Someone finds it in the sixth century in an old storage of a temple or whatever they found it. So maybe it's bullshit. But according to the Justinian code, you would get put to death if you got caught selling or wearing anything purple. Hmm. And when you look at heraldry, heraldry is like rudimentary, it's basic, but it's because these things all have meaning. And they only have meaning if it's a rigid system. So what the problem we have is in the last, specifically since the time of the Renaissance, you've had people come into this who are not part of that system, start claiming that stuff means stuff that they see. It's all become interpretive art. And I think that's cool. I like, I like doing that. We do that a lot on Vibrant. But I think it's also important to recognize that you need to own up to when you're doing that versus what they originally intended when they put that symbolism out there. That's where, you know, that's where I think uh, language really helps tie things down because when you look at language, what's in a symbol, what's in a, well, you see behind me, how would you pronounce that? Um, the Krishna. Yeah. Krishna. Well, there's, there's, there's no, there's Krishna. no I, there's no I, you must be a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> right, right right but they but the um those those symbols imply those sounds exactly it, yeah this is my point sure. and this is yeah. so when people beth when people can't win and appreciate an argument what they do is they focus on all this minutia that doesn't matter rather than just hearing the arguments okay this so this if you look at the latin vulgate you'll see on the breast of the pope so that k is going to be the same as the Greek he, or uh, I say Kai a lot because I, I just, I never learned how to speak it on my own, but it's he, right? It's C-H-I and it functions like this. So you see that in Christ or whatever. So mm -hmm. if you were to look at the breast of the Pope and the Latin uh, Vulgate, right? It's just going to say C-H-R-S. It's the exact same as K-R-S in Krishna. Right. Mm -hmm. And this word 
in Greek means something a little bit different. It means good. So to be Christian is literally to be good. Christos. Hmm. A good to be a good man or a good woman. It's not like this like crazy, you know, mean like when you look at and even the early forms of and if, with the Latin termination. So this was written, like if you look at like the ancients, or not even the ancients, let's say like Justin Martyr's work, right? It's just gonna be Christos. You're not gonna have the T in there. And it'll in the Latinized version of it is gonna be written with an I instead of an Ada because they Latinized it. And that's another conversation. We don't want to get to that because that's way too controversial. But this doesn't have a T in it like Christ because that ST is interchangeable. So sometimes you'll see something ST. Sometimes you'll just see an S, sigma. And we see this in our English language in words like Christmas. We don't say Christmas. We don't say list. Um, you're listening to me. You say you're listening. We say epistle. It's a letter. We don't say epistles. We say mistletoe. We don't say mistletoes. There's plenty of examples of this interchangeability. But if, if you've never studied language, I'm not saying you, but like anybody, if, if someone can't appreciate the work that I'm bringing to the table if they've never done the work themselves. And so that's a lot of time and um, sacrifice to learn that stuff that I went through. But I wrote Spirit World so you could do it. And, you know, I mean, the average ebook or audiobook is only like a 10 hour listen. So you could literally in like two months, you could get, if you just did one a week or one every week and a half or so, you could get through them in two months. Now, if you want to go deeper, you want to go into the paperback and the ebook so you can see how the words are spelled that matters. And one of the things I, I do that I didn't get done for me is because if you read all these old books, they're not transliterated into English. So you can't see how this corresponds to that. But in all of my work, I make sure I put the English letters for the most part and the Hebrew and the Greek and the Sanskrit. So you as a reader get used to seeing the correlation. And what's interesting about that is you see how it means black in uh, Sanskrit. Well, in Irish, you have, well, in Greek, you have the black doves of Apollo. But then in Irish, you have duv. And this means black. And Jesus is allegorized as a dove. What's going on here? For people to say that this isn't like a correlated system, if you study it long enough, you'll see that it 100% is. And it doesn't invalidate anybody's spiritual beliefs or practices with the religions. It doesn't negate anything. It's a similar tradition being brought by a similar class of people being established by similar styles of governance, law, the law of the land. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, it's not disrespectful to anybody. It's not, but there are certain things that if you start passing it off as history, somebody who's well-versed in this is going to show you forgery, what you're relying on to present that history. And that's where my stuff does become controversial. And we're not going to talk about that because I don't want to, I don't want to bring any of that backlash on you, but <laughs> When yeah, I so get a when I get a TikTok video that gets a, you know over a hundred thousand views or whatever, I'm not on there anymore. I just I, I deleted the app. But it's always going to be the controversial shit. It'll never be like positive, uplifting stuff that gets traction. It's just the stuff that pisses people off. Right, right. As we discovered, so yeah, there's a lot in there. Just a couple of questions. Like, first of all, do you think that that's 
is there an organic element to it or like so much of our world right now is it engineered right like because that i'm in my opinion who controls the language controls reality it's it's how you think through your words and that's the beauty of learning a different language that you see oh my gosh this is not the only way to think i have a habit of talking like the books that i read so this is not meant to insult anybody but what you just said is absolutely crucial. It seems there's like two things that really destroy a language and then F a culture and sink them into savagery. The first is civil war, which in America we've experienced. And it kind of corresponds to the sinking of America. You know, all this bad stuff really happens because of that with the legalese and all that stuff. But then the second is the loss of words for gratitude and manners. And so I'm going to say the term savages. I'm not saying anybody's a natural savage, but when I study these people, when they traveled the world with the British empire and they're going to these places of so-called savages, they notice when they study the language that they no longer have the use of words that for manners. Right. So like if I, if, if you had um, like, like your guitar back there, if I, the, the way their language is set up, they'd be like, you have guitar. I need guitar. Give me guitar. Not, hey, Beth, would it be okay if I learned how to play guitar when you're not playing and, and maybe like gave you some fruit or give, you know, maybe work for you? Would I, there's no like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. And like, there's no niceties. It's just like, no, you don't get guitar. You know, it's like, it was, ve it's very like rigid and they don't have, but there's evidence that one time they did have those words. There's like mm -hmm. elements that, so they're like, well, what happened? Something happened that caused them to lose that but it correlates with them sinking into base consciousness and savagery. And that is a pattern that has happened over and over again. And one of the things, the reasons they called like a lot of these languages, like Gothic, barbaric, barbarous and all that stuff is very similar to what we see today with like text messages. Like, like if I were to say like, uh, you know, STFU in chat to somebody or like on a, everybody would know what that means, but somebody 500 years from now, no, I would Oh, it means shut the F up. Like, ah, you know, or I'll like, uh, uh, what is it? GTFOH, right? Get the F out of here. You know what I mean? Like, or LMAO, you know, they had all these abbreviations and it makes the language incredibly hard to read and it gets way too numerous and all this other stuff that it becomes to a point to everybody else in a civilized world. It's like, that is garbage you guys are speaking and writing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's going to produce no antiquity. Like nobody's going to be able to know anything about your culture. And so the goths have been wrongly associated with Gothic cathedrals. And I happen to not think God I like Gothic cathedrals. They're among my favorites. So maybe I'm barbarous. I really like Gothic cathedrals, but they weren't built by goths. That's just what people called them because to them at the time they were, barbarous uh barbarous looking to like the latin you know to the people who are used to like roman uh architecture and stuff they see a gothic cathedral they're like what the hell is that crude limestone shit you guys are building with <laughs> so the same thing goes for the letters but to ultimately to circle back to your point it is a construct and he who controls it can if if somebody can control it or at least encircle you or put you in a position where you can't 
interact with other cultures, it will narrow your mind. And that's one of the, and I'm not one of those people that's multiculturalism and you don't have, you know, everybody should go everywhere they want. No, you have a right to exist as a race. You can be amongst your own people. I personally don't even really like being around my own people, Italians, especially Italian Americans. I don't really like being around them. Some of them I do, some of them are the best people in the world, but some of them are freaking uh, really arrogant. You think I'm bad, holy shit. You haven't even seen the, you know, I'm at the surface of the, the abyss over here. So some people, you know, I don't even really like dating Italian women either because they never shut up and they're just always nagging and, you know, but I love Italian women. The Italian women will take care of you. You know, they really nurture you. They're strong. They won't let you feel sorry for yourself. They'll, you know, they're very tough people, but you have a right to exist. Nobody has a right to encircle you. But what you see, especially with nations, is especially with propaganda, is they encircle your thought. They encircle you, circle you with these ideas. That's what we're seeing now with the media. So everybody's always parroting the same talking points. Everybody, when they're getting upset at the work that I do, it's always the same nonsense. Oh, excuse me. Uh, Rosetta Stones much? You know, it's like, yeah, those are, prob <laughs> those are probably forgeries, dude. They're written in Greek, Coptic, and Egyptian. It's probably proving that Egypt is way younger than the first civilization that built the megalithic structures that don't have any hieroglyphics or paintings on them. You know what I mean? And right. then they'll, they'll be like, oh, oh, Dead Sea Scrolls. So you mean to tell me you need to rely on 20th century discoveries to conform to the history that you've set up, where prior to that, you didn't have anything pertaining to the gospels prior to the sixth century. You know, there's a lot of stuff and I get my work. Like um, a lot of this, people don't appreciate that. I get my work from like archbishops. They're not giving you this rundown. They'll say, you know, it is curious that this Greek word created in a Greek city is created with a Latin termination and it's written in Greek, but it's Latinized with Latin letters that no ancient Greek or anybody authentic would have written like what's going on there mm. and mm -hmm. again one example of it and you'll be like oh, okay that's weird all right but as our friend chance said he said one of the best quotes of all time and i clipped it it was such it, it had such a profound effect on me he said the lie there's no knockout punch for a lie the lie dies under the weight of its own uh, or what did he say yeah. It died, whatever the forgery dies under the weight of its own lies. Meaning yeah, it's, a, it's a thousand different like little details that eventually a picture emerges. And that even if someone's honest, you can at least say, okay, that is, that is weird. Right. And mm. that's been all the rage in the past couple of years with the nature of earth. Right. Cause it's, it's been a bunch a big, it's dying under the weight of its own lies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Beautiful. I love that. I agree, Jen. And uh, so I just wanted to uh, follow up on one of the points here about, like, first of all, the organic versus the engineered. That was a really great explanation there. And then you're talking about that rigidity. And right away, I think about, in, you know, in the savagery and that base consciousness. And right away, I think about, um, is, is this even, even a word, Pharisaism, <clears throat> Pharisaism, <clears throat> meaning that like that pharisaical way of being that's all about the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. And is that what you mean by rigidity? Is that a similar thing? And then how does that relate to narrative, which is one of my, you know, uh, enemies when I hear narrative, it is 
and it's the repetition of using words, of claiming words. They they loved like the ability to mass market and put out mass messages. That was like the wet dream of all the controllers, because then you you take control of the symbols, and uh, and then and then you can have the even if it's not an agreed upon meaning, you can make it seem like it's an agreed upon meaning, right? And so is this is does that all fit with what you're saying there? Yeah. And I, I once had a, a producer in Hollywood. He produced like movies. Uh, I'm not going to say his movies, but movies that were kind of blockbuster hits like. Uh, and he, he said, this business is all about perspective. Beth, they need to censor you because you can compete. They need to send they need to deplatform somebody because they can compete. And what uh, was it? John D. Rockefeller, I think, one of the old Rockefellers said competition is a sin. So these people will spare no expense. They would rather burn whatever you're doing down and stay where they're at than allow your greatness to push them up and make them greater. And that's really, I don't want to like, you know, make it seem like it's a battle of the sexes or anything, but most men a masculine type of uh, archetype. We love competition. That's why sports are so big. It's not about destroying people. You're going to make me better. You being your best is only going to make me strive and become better to compete with you. Everybody and gets better. Yeah. In a healthy environment, that's what you do. But there are some people who they realize they're probably not going to have the discipline and the work ethic to be the best. So it's like, well, if we can destroy that person, problem solved for us and we can still be the best. And then you create that perception that everybody, right? You can create the perception of what a hit song is. You fake the numbers. You And it's so easy to do in the digital age. It was a long time ago, not a long time ago, but in our lifetime, you couldn't yeah. fake the numbers as easily because the numbers were being exchanged physically. Somebody bought a record. Somebody, you know, paid for something that they like with physical wealth so you can somebody has to account for it so you know it was a lot harder to go viral now it's like well we can just make what we want go viral with the click of a button mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh yeah. i sorry i got up i always get on these like long diatribe like random uh cavernous side quests but you you said something else that i'm trying to remember that was important besides the perception thing um About the narrative and the rigidity oh yeah can you the letter of the law were, were you were you saying that in the context of them of people in, in positions of power abusing that to create narratives or were you saying narrative like maybe we do that to ourselves with our own mental programming i wasn't mm -hmm. sure if you were going to go on something like that if you weren't don't worry about it but i wasn't sure if uh... well i can already see we need a part two for this but uh, mm -hmm. but yeah so i think it, it, it happens at both levels that we end up doing it to ourselves. And, and this came from exploring the Christian religion and, and watching how, you know, the, the, the teachings as they are, this is another subject maybe we'll get into and maybe not yet today, but, uh, you know, the teachings, Jesus came, if you take them at some face value to, to show you it's no, it's about the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. That's what's tortured people. And then what we end up doing with all of the narrative is internalizing it as programming, you know, like my if you call it famous story about uh, swapping into the, the uh, not swapping, but, um, you know, wanting to uphold the king heroes and rather than crush men to, to 
support and and uh, and show people their work is is that oh, was where was it going with that <laughs> you know um oh yeah just like because we internalize it and we own i owned the feminist movement i was not going to even entertain the idea that anybody had if uh influenced me with with the words and the symbols and everything and it's just like oh yeah i'm the i'm the one on the pedestal here saying that men are responsible for everything wrong so so this this teaching i take to be quite precious because it is exactly like once you can get to the spirit that letter of the law becomes it it crumbles it's like it it is the fiction it doesn't even exist if you don't uh continuously um you know uh reinforce it and remember it put it together over and over and over again and and then and the tenets of christianity are great right if you go back to that original root in greek it means good to be a good man christianos right it's Christianos, but that's Latinized. In Greek, that eta, that it looks like an H, but it functions like a, it transliterates in English as an H or an E, but it, when it's accented, it's pronounced like, like a Latin I. So it's Christianos. But if you were to read it in Latin letters, it would say Christianos, Christians, good men, good fellows. That's where the mob gets the good fellas from. <laughs> but if you were to not abuse the tradition and just look at it for its tenets and not the letter of the law and all the details and all that stuff and just appreciate for the values it has it's just teaching you to be a good person right if you adopt most of these you're going to be a good person what's wrong from love with love thy neighbor what's wrong from the, the best one is thou shalt not steal because if you were to look at every violation of human morality or human decency at the base of all immoral behavior is you're committing a wrong and that we're all hypo hypocrites in that by the way I'm, I'm hypocritical in that too, because, you know, our way of life does like in this creation, destruction and theft, uh, that's, that's nature. If you go out and look in nature, nature is as beautiful as it is, is, it's also cruel. It's just the way it is. And sometimes a lot of our belief systems are too idealistic, mine included. And so I spent the last like three years kind of unprogramming my own idealistic nature right like i was so invested in this goes back to india stuff i was so caught up in this priestcraft i was you know i was on that vegan kick for about six years and you know you start seeing the health decline after a while and you're like wow even though the philosophy of it thou shalt not steal is wrong is perfect it's at your own expense so if you are you willing to destroy yourself to not cause harm to others if if so, that's a no, that's as noble as, of an idea. And I'm not going to judge that at some point I decided I'm not willing to, but the point is to show up everybody. We all in some way are hypocrites and the, the goal we should all have is to minimize how much of hypocrites we are. Right. And, and to get away from the, the more rigid side and, and to take every day, every moment, every interaction, every conversation as new and and uh, alive in that moment therefore organic and not engineered i just did a, a video for the house of free will on uh, don't make policies that's the that's that's exactly that point that your policy is not going to work in every situation and it's going to strangle the organic growth that otherwise could take place and that's the potential that i like you, what you said very early on in the interview just that that is the potential that it you know it can be a blessing to us and and just to follow up there, that you know, it sometimes it seems like a curse. Say you're you're trying to make a 
you know, text message and, and you know, you want to be clear because it won't work if, if you're not clear. And it takes you 25 minutes because, you know, you're, you're seeing, oh, that could be misinterpreted and that could be misinterpreted. And I better change the order of this around. And, uh, and, you know, and it sets you back writing, writing a book, you know, you got six of them, like to write one single book, it was like hellish, right, to go through every single sentence several times to be clear enough that I might be understood. And then you're spending in the illusion also that if you if you're completely clear with your words, that you are going to be understood. Well, this isn't true. <laughs> right? Because you write how you talk, Beth? Like, do you say you're right? I try because but I do you say it out loud when you write it. Like, like, like yes. Okay. I, I, I was just going to say, if you weren't doing that, you must do that. That's, that's one of my problems yeah. early on. My first two books are kind of, uh, they're more alchemical and it's more, I talk, I write like I talk. So I'm a little bit vulgar and I'll be the first to admit that, but it gets more scholarly as it goes on. But the whole point was some people need to have that humbling. I had to have it and it helped me when somebody was able to talk like that to me. So I talk like that to the reader and I'm basically writing to my 16 year old self mm, talking exactly okay. how I would sit down, son, and just shut your mouth and, you know, and like it comes across sometimes in a little bit in certain parts is like uh, vulgar, but it's, it's not geared towards anybody personally. Like, I don't know anybody who's reading my book, you know, like I, how could I possibly know who's going to buy that? Right. It's to me what I would have right. told myself to avoid how, Hollywood. And it's not that Hollywood's bad. There's a lot of great people there, but the overarching system, you need to know what that's like before you get involved with it. And what I really wanted to touch upon, you just mentioned, this is what I originally forgot. You, you asked, is it a blessing or a curse? And I started off and I know I said it's a blessing, but the curse part of it, a curse only has the power that you give it. Mm. Whereas if I were to like swear at you in another language that you didn't understand, you might just be like, what the, you might start laughing because you're like, it's funny, right? You're like, dude, the sound of those words and your voice, your inflections, it's hilarious. But I'm so serious and I'm like animated, you know, like, like, and you're just like, what the hell is this guy on about? If you don't know what that means, you can't take it personal. Now, if you know what he's saying and what he's saying or she's saying is really vicious and awful, then it impacts you. Mm. But I like to remind people, it only impacts you if it's, again, it's a choice. It's, it's only if you consent to let it impact you. Same with the negative comments online, all of it. It's literally all a frigging choice and you don't have to accept any of it. You can literally have as much fun as you want with all that negative energy and let it go like water off a duck's back if you don't take it seriously. And that's the problem is most people take everything way too seriously. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And motive is everything. So if you're the user of the words and you're, you're, you're hidden from yourself, likely motive, uh, it, you know, is to manipulate or to trick someone because you're using the same word and you're going to allow them to think that you're having the same idea, then, you know, that's going to show itself. Like, like you said before, um, one of the things that I, I wanted to get into was just about, you know, an, another one of those so-called truisms that may or may not be, but that Sanskrit was considered to be a heard language or revealed language compared to a thought of language. So not an academic thing, but actually like a revelation, you know, the word, I think uh, the heard, the word for heard, is it, um, there's a difference between, I think it's shruti and smriti. And um, so the, the smriti would be more of the thought of word, if I'm getting this correct, and then the shruti would be the heard. 
And I'm personally aware of the, the phenomena, how I can use the mechanism of my mind to move furniture around and construct and create and, and contemplate. And, and, then, and then there's the, the revelatory that comes. Literally, there was no foundation. You don't have any building blocks for that revelation. It came in. You heard it. You couldn't have even thought of it. And so what's your take on this? Do you think Sanskrit actually holds this or is this language in general, given the relationship between them? So the, the written word, so what you're touching on is a really important subject and it's, you want to get controversial. Here we go. Go for it. No ancient culture ever spoke or uh, Hebrew. Hebrew is an initiated system. That's why it's in everything. It was, wasn't made common till the middle ages that's why they had to address the vowel point system prior to that you're looking at chaldean and chaldean all these systems they get their letters from the phoenician which is why the, the religious institutions have said the phoenicians come from the orient but the reality is nobody no the, the best hebraists all the way up to like you know especially like during the 18th century nobody could demonstrate the affinity between hebrew and Phoenician, but you can demonstrate a lot of the techniques and a lot of the roots and stuff with Celtic. Now, what you just said, Sanskrit, Sanskrita, well, in Latin, it would be uh, Sanctum Scriptus. In Irish, it would be Sanskriote. It means holy writ. Mm. And when we were just talking about with Christos and Christos, mm. San, well, San in some languages means son. Oh. In, in Italian, it means saint right or in spanish san, san maria right santa all these things it's going to be related in uh uh in irish sean shankus and this is another slide i can show you just to so you see what i'm saying this Isn't is from it also a negatory like uh when you say like sans uh in in uh, french no sugar no sugar please oh you're muted Sans the, yeah, minus the whatever. Yeah. Sansuk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so you're seeing Shankus, right? That's a pedigree of law, right? Sean pertains to the sun. San, it's, it's all the same. And so where's this affinity coming from? Well, because these written alphabets are done um, by the solar cult or this, the, the people who revere the sun because it determines our seasons, which we need to account for in order to survive and plant and grow crops. But ultimately it's a symbol of wisdom and the mediator between us and God. And so all the alphabets, those, these archetypal characters, they're all, what do they all have? They're related to the word, the logos, wisdom, the letters, right? Whether it's uh, Woden, it doesn't matter. They, they have these alphabetical connections because this is ultimately Going back to your question, is it a blessing or curse? This is, in my opinion, and I'm not, I'm saying in my opinion, I believe, because I don't know for sure, but I, the worldview I adopt is this is indeed our blessing from God. Our ability to use this is our, now, does it mean it's from God? No, we just have, we're given the talents to map out language. How we do that is our own choice. You could make your own astrological zodiac tomorrow. It could be totally different using all the stars that exist. doesn't invalidate your system as well at all. But for you to create a new system and then pretend 
that it's the real system that's evolved from the old system, then that would be disingenuous because if, unless you come from that priest class that has done this, you're not going to be able to demonstrate that continuity. You've just rewritten a language. You've just rewritten a symbolism, a body of symbolism, if you will. And so all of this, san, shun, sun, it's all related. And it all pertains to holy and scriptus, Christos, right? The holy. You could even say Sanskrit is the, 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 the black God. Hare Krishna, the black savior, if you will. Interesting. I'm not saying that as like an African thing. I'm saying like they, a lot of these gods, Apollo, even in the Bible, the angel of the abyss, Abaddon, Apollyon, right? The Lord, God, the Lord. They reckoned winter as the start of the year when the sun is in winter. That's the symbolism of Janus, right? He has two heads. It's the gates of the year at the, sol uh, the winter solstice. So the old man, the old face is the old year. And the younger man, the second face, is the new year. That's the gates. That's what St. Peter's keys are, the papal keys. It's the gates of the kingdom of heaven. Peter, Janus, January. It's the beginning of certain cultures reckon the year in winter. Certain cultures reckoned it in springtime. You know, there, it just depends. And so by knowing the priestcraft, if you come across details, you can know what you're looking at. You say, oh, they're placing emphasis on this time of the year when this this and this should happen it definitely belongs to this category one of the things that is uh, an example of cultural diffusion is you'll see the egyptians and the mexicans and uh the romans they all had this 360 day year calendar with five intercalaries these five dead days that they added on afterwards mm. and the odds of people having the same measurements and also the same mistakes and not having any uh cultural diffusion with each other it's it's null and that's that's and a lot of people in the conspiracy world have recognized yeah they're lying about history but they're not being precise they're getting a little too speculative and that isn't helpful either and mm -hmm. so what my goal is to try to give people and it's not to say that my, i'm the end all be all but what I like to do is provide as much factual stuff that I can demonstrate that will give you anchors to your position. So then you can tie that down. Okay, this obviously means this. It's from an Irish dictionary, right? You're seeing it. Where else, if I see, if I see also this word was Phenicus, uh, Fenian, and that's the laws for the Phoenicians in Ireland. Mm. There's there's all kinds of little details that okay, it's there. What I think of that is my opinion, but it doesn't change the fact that Sean, Son, Son are all similar in meaning. Holy, Son, Saint, etc. And when you see the saints, what are they depicted with? Those nice halos, those glorioles of the sun. And you'll see that St. Patrick's Day, the reason it's on the 17th is that's the actual equinox. Righto, righto. And then, uh, you know, that's one of the enemies of the the Christian faith that they will attack the New Age for. If we kind of go down this, it, actually, one of my questions. Maybe I'll start. I'll start with this question first. In terms of like, how do the, if you call it Indian or or Hindu, knowing that it's more than Hindu, you've got you've got all you've got the giants, you've got like a whole um, mishmash of people that we just called India because of the 
uh, Rome, not the Roman Empire, but the um, you know the English Empire take over there in in India. But how 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 do you see those two cultures? Um, or pardon me, the, the Indian cultures and the Christian traditions collide. Are 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 they having through the through the study of the language? Are you seeing that they actually have the same origin? Have you already said that? <laughs> um, no, not today. But so basically, where I would refer to people is uh, the works of Asebius. And he wrote, those ancient Therapeuti were Christians and their writings are our gospels and epistles. And if you look up who the Therapeuti or the Essenes are, they both mean healers, miracle workers. They're a Jewish Buddhist sect and this is from book two. I actually just did a post on this um, the other day. On Yesterday, your maybe. Okay. Um, so basically, the founder of the, the Therapeuti is going to be Asclepius, right? If you look at how it's spelled in Latin, and then you break it down in the Hebrew, and that's not, this is not a stretch because they're admittedly Jewish Buddhists, right? You see Esh, you see Kol. Uh, fire all father. Now, in Gothic, you will see that Odin's name is this. A-S, right? And you also see him referred to as Isis. And then the plural of that is Isar. Well, where does this come from? Atrushan, Isar. what it looks like and it's their word for god and if i could just read um you a little quote um in latin the sun was called isar e-s-a-r in the attrition language and suetonius wrote isar which forms the remaining part of the name caesar is in the Etruscan language, the de denomination of God. And you'll see he, um, as, is, A-E-S, or Isus, A-E-S-U-S, -S, is the name of Odin by way of distinction, that of God. In the plural, it is Asar and Aisir. So that begets the Norse pantheon. And what you see in the first century of Europe is... Isis, the god of war. And they just aspirated it with a J, which also, if you were to Latinize that, is like Jesus. Jesus, right. Right, but there's no J in this and there's no H in this. Mm -hmm. So you see, what you're really going to see in European history is this guy in the first century. You're not going to see any artifacts of the Christian Jesus. Mm. And that's not to say whether anyone is real or not. That's mm -hmm. an individual journey. You can read my work to, to hear my take on it. But your take is no, right? Like it, from what I heard that, that you feel like there's no, there's no well, basis for his. Yeah. So the problem with it, I, so I learned this from a reverend, a clergyman. Mm -hmm. And the problem with it is if you were to look at Isis, Jesus, you're seeing an old monogram for Bacchus. And this is what the Jesuits use. 
IHS, right? And it's right in the middle of a blazing sun in their logo. Anybody can see it. That is a Latin, or sorry, um, a, a Latinized version of an old monogram of Bacchus. I think everybody can agree that Bacchus is the sun and it's got a Latin termination. This wouldn't be, and you can do this with Greek too. Like how we, so one of the things I wanted to show you with um, the Sanskrit, well, what's the golden age also called? There's two words for the golden age. You know what they are? Uh, in, in India? Like in, in Yeah, yeah. Oh. I'll give you a hint. One of them, the first one that is known as the Black Age called Sa Satya Yuga. Satya, Satya Yuga, right. that would be age right. of truth, truth right. existence. The yeah. good, the good age. And, but mm -hmm. what is it also known as? Sat is existence. Krita Yuga. Can you see it? Hold on, I don't have you on my thing. Yes. Can you see that? Krita yes. Yuga. Okay. It's just what we did with Sanskrit. Good, right? Kris, good. Kris, right. right? It's the same thing. It would translate as Chris. Like if you were to write that, that's where that comes from. Mm. Good. Right. Kri and this interchanges, this to T and the S interchange in the old language. So again, it goes back to, I'm not here to like belittle anybody for what they believe. That's your right. But it, but it is to show you that this all, there is a system of priest class, priest class, excuse me, priest craft. And um, it all interchanges with itself and keeps right. returning to itself and keeps getting reinvented, but it still keeps a lot of these same keys. And um, they claim that like Sanskrit is descended from Tamil, but you know, it's, it, it's, if that's the case, okay, well, how old's Tamil? They can't produce any, um, older inscriptions in India. So how can we maintain that Latin and stuff is coming from these languages who can't produce old inscriptions? It just doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to read you a quote from a gentleman named um, Godfrey Higgins. He said, and this is what's really interesting about Sanskrit. And I want to see if you noticed any of this and feel free to disagree. Don't, don't, I'm not trying to shape your perspective. I just want to hear what you have to say about it. If, if anything, he said, there is not in the world anything like a written or spoken language formed by rule except the Sanskrit. And in this very formed rule, its modern character is evident. Every language written and spoken is the child of circumstance, improved by grammarians as our language and all languages of civilized nations are improving every day. I cannot help suspect that the abuse of those artificial rules not only leads the modern Sanskrit scholars into great absurdities, but likely entirely shuts the avenues to ancient learning. And by this means, he has been one of the causes of their present lamentable state of ignorance. And then he, uh, and he just finished off. I cannot, oh, oh, this is a gentleman named Bobbington. He said, I cannot touch on the Tamil characters without remarking that their extreme simplicity seems one among many circumstances, which indicates that the language is of high antiquity. The Sanskrit of both south of India is written in characters derived from Tamil. So there's both sides. Some people think it's not old, as old. Some people think it is the oldest. And I like to present my readers and my audiences with both arguments and see what mm -hmm. you think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm just taking it in. I'm kind of a sponge. I was a sponge when they told me it was the oldest language. And I, I am open to learning more. And, you know, it often comes down to if it's... Um, 
I don't know if I'm using this word totally correct, but the w- once you start breaking it down epistemologically and, and you see like, what can you actually accurately say that, you know, mm-hmm. it, it turns out to be very little, <laughs> almost nothing left at the end. <clears throat> and so then you start turning towards more of, you know, like you say, my original question was about singing these mantras. Mm-hmm. And, and and what effect am I having? Am I am I like whipping up a spell around me with, without without knowing it? Am I, you know, open up portals for demons to come in on the mm-hmm. attack? Am I, uh, you know, like singing to gods and goddesses? And I'm I'm and I I probably could not have done this interview with you one minute earlier because I might have been really like caught in in some other story, and um, I'm back to knowing nothing. That then that, that's perfect, right? Like that's just it's just between me and God now. And <laughs> it's just kind of, yeah. Bit- or, but you just look at it this way. It's, can I demonstrate something? And if you can't demonstrate it, don't be so rigid about it. I could be wrong, but what I'm not wrong about is my ability to demonstrate. Like I'm little people. I, that's why I, I harp on doing this. I have, I bought this whiteboard. I don't really care to do this, but I like people who listen to me to know that I'm not just talking out of my ass. I've, mm-hmm. I've spent a long time looking at this stuff. And when I was telling you earlier about how that when I started noticing these patterns, there's this gentleman named Colonel Wolford. And this is, this is why I think it ties into the Sanskrit being younger, but also being a derivative of that ancient alphabet. He said that the Sanskrit alphabet, when stripped of the double letters and the ones unique to it, has the same 16 letters as the letters of the Palazzi or Cadmus. That's from Asiatic researchers. And it seems the common variable in all of this to me, when I look at it, is the holy sailors or the Phoenicians or the Etruscans, the Pelasgians, another word for the Tyrrhenians or Tyrians, uh, the, the ancient Italians. And they're the ones bringing this language with them, but they're not really conquering people. They're doing it for commerce. And this is the necessity, going back to the blessing side of language, this invention of language, and you're a business person, so this is good. You'll appreciate this. The ability of language, even if you and I didn't speak, let's say they spoke, like let's say you were in Quebec or something, and you were speaking French, and I could only speak English, but we both had a an alphabetical system that you knew what everything meant in your language. It meant the same thing, right? But you, if I were to write in this numerical system or this alphabet, you would know the meaning in French, and I would know the meaning in English. And we, even though we could not speak to each other, could write this system that we agreed on what it means because it takes that agreement for the symbols. I can say, I can write to you, hey, I would like $5 for this. And you could write in the same thing that I can understand without speaking, I'll only give you 475, not a dime. You know what I mean? Whatever. And before you know it, you and I can do business because we've agreed what this alphabet system is. We created this. And now we can go trade for the rest of the world. This is what was done in China. Almost everybody in Southeast Asia, they could all understand the Chinese written language. They just couldn't understand each other when they spoke. But it was that's how they were able to trade. So that's why I think language, regardless of what a wicked person does with it, is ultimately a blessing. Or not. maybe language isn't the right word. I keep saying that loosely. The alphabets, the ability to map out language. Or to right. create a system of like Hebrew, where everybody who reads it knows what it means, even if they can't speak it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that guy just said, the guy just said, if you strip away those double letters in the Sanskrit language, 
it's the same system and the letters that they invented on their own. And, you, you know, he also observed that there's 339 Sanskrit words in Homer's poems. And he wrote it in, in all essential respects, the Greek, Latin and Sanskrit alphabetical systems are similar. So where's it coming from? Everybody thinks it's from India and I'm showing you the artifacts at least don't show that. Right. Right. That is more likely to be Phoenician, therefore Italian, as we know it geographically. Yeah. Today. And the, the religious institutions taught us Phoenician came from like Canaan, right? which is going to be like near Israel and all those areas in the, you know, Asia Minor, North Africa, all that, that Eastern Mediterranean. But when you start looking at a lot of the details, if it were coming from there, there would be some affinity. We don't see we don't see the affinity in the ancient Italian, despite it being one for one with the Phoenician. So right. why? Why? And that's all I'm asking. I'm and I'm, I've got my theories. I'm not saying I'm right, but that's you know that's kind of like what my work's exploring. And I want to emphasize what you've also said just about because like what comes to mind immediately is is it like form or function? And it's function is always first in language, right? You you almost never you might be an exception, somebody who spends, you know, a lot of your time looking into this stuff without, well, not that there's not a function to it, but the function is always to communicate and to exchange, whether that's at the level of, of commerce or, or, or like sharing a life or sharing a meal or sharing, you know, any, anything, raising a child, it's, it's always function is the, is the, the first order of business with language. And just to add a little detail, it's kind of a sidetrack, but it's related to this. Sanskrit, it's written left to right, correct? Yes, it is. In your study, did you ever come across Sanskrit that was written right to left? Like, a, I never like Hebrew? Did. No, I never did. I don't, I'm not aware of any examples of that. And so that in itself is a minor detail that betrays the youth of it, at least as a written form of, uh, at least as a written I'm trying to like get away from saying language because I don't want to like say that. I don't want anybody who hears this to say that I'm saying the, the people of India aren't ancient, that anybody else's culture isn't ancient. It is. The language is. I'm just talking about this system, this particular system that is still in use and that, that goes back as far as we can tell of the alphabet. That is what I'm saying is a priestcraft. I'm not saying your culture Perfect. was made up. I'm yeah. not saying anything about you. You're here. Right. Our phenotypes, look at you. You have beautiful blonde hair. I've got dark hair, right? We, our phenotypes exist. Right. It follows logically that they have existed. Right. Right. Exactly. So if you exist, you have, you are part of the survivors who have survived everything. So you go bar, fat, far back as everything does go far back, whatever your race is, black, white, red, yellow, something in between. Right. So everybody's ancient. You're here by virtue of the fact that you're here. You're, you're ancient. You're from ancient heritage so I'm, i just want to make sure that people aren't saying that i'm like knocking like saying like oh the indians are like this hybrid race that didn't come into existence till the common era or some shit not, that's not what we're doing here i'm just showing yeah. you some concerns there's a lot of claims being made by indians and ethiopians and right guys and right left to right that's what we do i have no ancestors like i have no grandparents on either side and um no contact with my family for the most part. So I can rewrite the whole history. I could, I could, you know, what I put in my book was my understanding, my perspective, my interpretation. And it was based on other people telling stories. 
and you know, so this is how we can see how things and 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 we do have that creative license. We are co-creators with God. We've been given this power to create, and that's why you know, like some people, I don't know if you can see the the uh, the logo with a King Hero's journey in my original uh, business logo. It has a trident in it, and I knew, <clears throat> I knew by it's got using some that. Trimuti. 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 Right. Right. One, one God, three forms right there. Right. Right. Such it on and another. And Trimuti is where Trinity comes from. So you asked earlier is there's definitely diffusion. I don't care what anyone says. They're bar. They're, they're lending each other their systems. That's it. That's how culture works. Exactly. They, what is it? Is it syncretism? The, the word, how things get, you know, folded into each other. I remember a story from a, a professor saying that there was, you know, the supposed Catholic takeover in Mexico of, of the Mayan religion. And, and the Mayan people just went like, Oh, cross. Oh yeah, we got that. We know what that means. We'll put it in that placeholder. Oh, that we recognize. Perfect. We get, we're friends. Turns out we're the same. And they couldn't really take them over. They could only fold in like whipped cream or something, you know, in the, for any, for anyone interested in what you're saying, cause I can, I had, I just published a whole book this whole, this last year in February. Congratulations. This, thank you. This goes into the American gravy. And so this is, this is why one of the motivations I have is why are Irishmen able to learn the American Indian language in less than a month because it has affinity to the Scottish, the Highland language that the ancient Scots spoke and the Irish spoke who were, they were originally like the same people. A lot of people don't, they don't want to admit that, but you know, Ireland was Scotland at one point. Come on, mofo, stop lying to yourselves. Uh, this affinity you just described, the equilateral cross. Well, if I were to look at that, who's known for that? That's definitely a Greek influence. So that is one tick for the Greeks. Then there's the use of teotle, right? Which you could say is theos, God, teo. But you could also say with the T. They, the, so by the way, the Americans have no idea what that termination, that TLE meant when the friars were investigating them, trying to figure this out. Because they, they came across and they're like, these people have all of our systems. They're speaking literally corrupt Hebrew. What's going on here? They don't have letters, so it couldn't have been brought by Christians and Jews. They don't have the ability to smelt iron or mine it, despite having iron-rich mines. So they don't have hard tools. Like a, if Christians or Jews brought this, they would have brought those tools with them, those techniques. They didn't. The mythoses are all separate. Judaism and Christian—excuse me, Judy and Christianity are all in one mythos, whereas in uh, Europe they're divided. So they're like, what the heck is going on? And so I could say Greek, my instinct would say Greek, but there's also thought, which is written in every language in Greek. Sometimes it's written as thuth, tut, thoth, thoith. There's like every um, variation, but you see him in the Germans or the Teutonics, they say tutatis. And then in ancient Britain, it's tot, T-O-T. And then in Asia, you have tat, which is another epithet for Buddha. Something is really interconnected, and this interconnection predates Columbus. Like, I mean, it's it goes back to probably before the Common Era. If it's not forgery, now this is where it could get interesting. Everything I've just described could be forgery, and none of their traditions match this. And this is what they created 
under the Inquisition after they destroyed their real history. But the, 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 there's a little de there's details. When you look at what the Spaniards um, forbade to come over here under New Spain, you could not be a Jew. You could not be a Muslim. You could not even be, you had to be at least if one of your ancestors was suspected by the Inquisition, if it was within three generations, you could not go to New Spain. You, you couldn't be a lawyer or a clerk. You couldn't be like anybody of learning. It was either soldiers or approved Jesuit slash, well, Jesuits come into it later, but approved um, Dominican friars or Franciscans. And I think there were some good men that wanted to expose this truth, but I think overall, when they figured this out, they were worried about what it would implicate with the Vatican. And so they destroyed the Mexicans. They kept their history through painting, not letters. They had hieroglyphs, but they weren't sacred. They were just glyphs. Every, like the common man knew how to read them. So it shows they hadn't really evolved to a system of alphabet yet. But when you see like their big cities like Monte Alban in uh, uh, the Yucatan Peninsula, I think, or Oaxaca, Alban is a Phoenician word. You see it, Mount Alban, and right outside of Rome, you see Albania right across the, the sea on the other side. You see Albion, Britain. There is stuff that, again, by itself could be coincidence. But when you start seeing all the other ticks, where are they getting this? And why are they telling us that their temples were built by people that look like you, Beth? Mm -hmm. and so I'm dark because I have American Indian and those genes expressed in them, themselves in me. But if you look at my ancient like Roman and Etruscan heritage, they look more like you, like Germanic or uh, Celtic. The Aryan. I, I even had, I had blonde hair when I was a little kid, but like, it, okay. I, you know, I got darker. But like, what I'm saying is the ancient Italians were Celtic or of, you know, that central European phenotype. It right. wasn't as dark as, you know, before all the immigration and all that stuff, we weren't as dark. And so the North Africa, Eastern Europe, um, Eastern Mediterranean, it looked a lot different than it does now with once the Ottomans came in there, they invaded. And now they pretty much control, they controlled Spain for a long time, a lot of the Iberian Peninsula, but that's all post seventh century. That's not what the times that I'm talking about. So some of this religious symbolism, especially you have Kukuklan in is that's an, uh, a name on the Yucatan Peninsula for Quetzalcoatl, who is allegedly their leader, their blonde-haired guy who they who built their temples and shit. That's what they thought the Spaniards were returning. They were his descendants, whatever. Allegedly, this could all be bullshit. Mm -hmm. But what's not bullshit is there are temples in Mexico dedicated on the Yucatan Peninsula to Cucucan, and Cucucan is also an Irish archetype. And Quetzalcoatl with those crosses was literally, and if you look at uh, Quetzalcoatl, he has a miter. He looks just like a frigging Carthusian monk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What yeah. is going on? And yeah. so maybe it came from Asia, right? Maybe they, maybe it's like it came from the Mediterranean to Asia and then from Asia to Americas. I don't know, but I think it's worth exploring. And that's, that's what I'm doing. And how that's do I, how do I identify I don't. <laughs> I, 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 literally, I, I literally don't fit in. It's hilarious. Like yeah, me I neither. Li I've, yeah. I've lived. I've lived with black people. I'm white to them. Uh, mm. Around like I grew up with Irish, mostly Irish, English, and like German people, a little bit of French. 
I'm like black to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to 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 Mexicans or to Oaxacans in LA, I'm a gringo. To even my own Italians, like uh, when we're tan, they have like brown olive skin, even though they'll have like blue eyes and like dirty brown blonde hair, their yeah. skin still looks olive and brown. When I'm next to them, I look red. And they're like, you're like an Indian. But then to the Indians, or to uh, like American Indian, not, not Indian Indian. But I even to my, one of my best friends is from Guyana. Mm-hmm. And they were brought over from India as indentured servants. And I, I'm like a white person to them. So I've never fit in. I don't identify. I can't. There's, I, literally, there's nobody I fit in with because I'm mixed. I'm like yeah. Celtic. Uh, like, so basically, I've got like Gallic, like Fr- French, uh, American Indian, and uh, Italian. That's awesome. Dylan, will you join, join me for another interview? Yeah, anytime. You let me know. We'll, we'll, we'll make it happen whenever you want. I've, yeah. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you so much for coming. Can you remind people how you would like them to interact with you on social media and your website? Yeah, everything from my socials to my newsletter to my books, if you're interested to my, everything is on, you can find at um, beacons, B-E-A-C-O-N-S dot A-I slash great tide. And then um, anybody who's interested in, my current research with my um, Substack. that's where it's all getting posted. Some of it is free, but a lot of it, there'll be like, I divide it with like paywalls. So you can get a certain amount for free and then you want the rest, you have to be a paid member, but everybody can become a paid, uh, paid member for free by just following the instructions. And not only that, I incentivize people to help me grow. So if you really like my work, you never have to pay at all. All you have to do is they have a, um, kind of like a, a referral program there. So like oh when, you, sorry, yeah. when you, sh- when you share like links to my articles or even like anything from my Substack, if somebody subscribes to me via free or paid, it gives you a point. And so like three referrals gives you three months, five referrals gives you six months or, so, or three months. And then uh, 25 referrals will give you um, six months free. So if you like my work and you have an audience, there should be no reason you're paying for it. It's just helped me grow and it'll always be free for you. Very good. So I apologize. I have to run. <laughs> no, awesome. It was great talking. It was great catching up and yeah. thanks for having me on. It and, was uh, fantastic, Dylan. I thoroughly enjoy, um, you have a great mind, fantastic mind. Likewise. And, uh, I appreciate everything that you have shared and I do encourage everybody to go and, and take advantage of your work, both, uh, both uh, paid and unpaid because there's always more in the, um, in the value that you can offer. So thank you everybody. We're, um, going to be back again next week with George Wiseman is going to be on from uh, Eagle research, talk about some Brown's gas and, uh, get to the bottom another, another, uh, place I'd like to get to the bottom of and understand questions. We've got, uh, Simon Essler on the following week, looking at, um, the King, uh, looking at the hero's journey through the family's eyes and then I, in November, we've got um, Michelle from Michelle's Healing Home and Kent Kyle Denton. I always mangle his name from Tippecanoe's doing a very special thing on uh, November 2nd. So there's a lot coming up and, and a little bit more spaced out than I was used to. But uh, might just call on you sometime sooner. And, and we'll Anytime. I always okay. make time for you. We go, we go okay. back far enough where, I, I, you know, you're, you're a good person. So I like talking to you. Thank you. I appreciate that and feel the same way about you. Awesome. All right, everyone. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you, guys. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye, Beth. Bye.